0: all right in five four three two one hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the moon tea podcast this is a podcast where we talk about craft community and building meaningful careers today we have on a very awesome guest called bria larson Born and raised in Mesa, Arizona. She started swimming competitively at 17 years old and went on to swim for Texas A&M University. We also swam a bit of club together in high school. And at Texas A&M, Bria made the 2012 Olympic team in the 100 meter breaststroke and the four x 100 medley relay. The relay was able to do a pretty good job and they won gold. Bria also went on to serve as an athlete ambassador for Team USA in over 20 countries for international competitors where she continued to collect multiple titles. Throughout her athletic career, she started speaking publicly and being a mentor for many young athletes, turning that into a mindset coaching career. While finishing up her last swim season during the 2020 pandemic, decided to get her real estate license. Now she's working with Launch Real Estate while still keeping a healthy appearance with public speaking and mentoring and gracing us with her presence on the Moon Day podcast. So thank you so much, Rhea, for coming on. Thank you, Ooh. Hugh. I was
1: super
2: excited.
0: So glad. So if do you have anything you want to add or anything you'd like to say to just kick us off?
2: But really just how excited I am to be on this prestigious podcast with you, Barry. Very good. Oh my Are god. To 13 Ferryman. listeners. Ferryman. Do you hear that? No, very excited. I'm a podcast nut, and so when you told me about your podcast, you it became my entertainment for the next house project I was working on. So I've had plenty of hours of moon tea podcast. It's been great. Oh, no so if I'm one That's of the followers, and it's
0: probably like 12. Wait. So we have wait what now 14? <laughs> I'm a listener. Oh man, thank you so yeah let's get started john i please feel free where do you want to start oh bria i'm just curious
1: where are you like living now
2: i'm in the biltmore area in arizona currently oh, cool. feeding my dog one pebble of food at a time to keep him quiet so if you're hearing that noise that's what it is it is my fault that this is a thing we have encouraged it
1: cool <laughs> and then Yeah, I feel like you probably get a lot of questions about your time in the Olympics, but like this is also I'm sure it was like a really amazing experience. And we are like, I'm personally really curious about it. Yeah. Can you just speak a little bit about it? I'm sure the prep to get there was insane. Like one question, one question that my girlfriend had was like, like while you were be oh, training, no. we like, obviously mouth. you had the outcome, like you, you had the medal, which was like amazing. You made it, which is amazing. But while training, even if you had the thought that you would not make it or, or like you wouldn't make it to like the Olympic qualifiers or anything, was it, would it all still be worth it? So yes, yeah, that was something that, yeah.
2: So that's a great question and loaded question. I'd love to break down. Okay. So. One of the key reasons why my career went so gross so quickly is purely out of ignorant confidence, purely ignorant confidence. I had, I was more in survival mode. So I grew up in Mesa, Arizona in a very underprivileged neighborhood and I wanted out. That was my main source of swimming. Actually, I wanted to get a college scholarship to be able to leave Arizona. And I just thought it was my best option. And my first Year there was probably the toughest years, year of my swimming. I was about 10 years behind in aerobic capacity from all my other teammates and it was just really hard. <laughs> and uh, when I finally got to a breaking point of wanting to quit and leave and go home and be done with it all, I, my mom um, sent me a very simple message that just said, this is what it feels like to be a champion. How tired you are, how hard you're working, that's what champions do. So I decided to take a different approach and I wanted my psychological view of swimming to change. And so I started learning how to condition myself to be happy around swimming. And so I've learned to condition myself to smile when I'm uncomfortable and to smile when I see a challenge that is overwhelming. And it really started to make a difference. From that point, I was just so blinded by trying to keep everything so positive and only having one option. The one option was to make it the one option was to get that medal. The one option was this, and there was never doubt that crept into my mind. And I think that's mostly attributed to creating neural pathways in your brain. When you have those lingering thoughts that will tend to either go negative or positive, I just kept it positive. I was very careful with monitoring my inner thought process and making sure that it always went in the right direction, because in my mind at that point, that was the only option. And when that, when I became a little bit more aware. After the Olympic games going into 2016, I was very aware of everything that could possibly go wrong and was pretty good at managing that, but the pressure became really big and I stopped seeing it for the competition that it was and more thinking about how, what would happen if I didn't make it. And when I started focusing on everything that would happen if I didn't make it, that almost became more important in my mind than actually making the team. So in 2016, I got fourth place at Olympic trials and they take top two. So I missed out on it. And personally, I think that was the best thing that ever could have happened to my swim career because it made me realize fairly quickly that it really doesn't matter how many medals you have or how how many Olympics you've attended. It's about the experience. And so I was ready to just retire and be done that summer. I thought maybe I'll just do one World Cup. So FINA, who is a governing body for world swimming or world aquatics in general, hosts nine competitions or sorry, one competition where there's nine countries that host a swimming and you get to travel all over the world. So I thought I'll just, I'll do one round of the world cup and then I'll be done. And it was so much fun. I got to meet so many people that I realized that's really what swimming is about. And that's what I wanted it to be. So I started focusing more on the people and the relationships and the experience I got to have rather than caring about how fast I swam, because really no one really cares how fast you swim three months after you swam that race. And everyone seems to care because there's the one or two people that make it in history and you want to be the next one. But, and that this is a little presumptuous of me to say, but you look at those people that the history books will remember forever. And swimming those races doesn't make them happy right now. It doesn't fulfill their life. Swimming that fast doesn't really do anything for them. Maybe create opportunity, but they themselves are creating that opportunity, maybe from that race. So it was, can you guys hear all the grumbling? Or does this kind of cancel it out?
0: (laughs) Totally, okay.
2: (laughs) Okay, he's going to be a little, have some attitude for the next bit. But it's been a really wonderful journey in experiencing both the ups and the downs. And I think that experience the downs helps you grow more as a person. But I refuse to take the saying, I am who I am today because of my trials. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. I like to say I am who I am today despite my trials and despite the failures and despite all of this, you have always had that strength in you. And sometimes those difficult moments trigger it to pick up and get going, but. I think that it's very helpful to understand that you've had the strength you've had the strength inside of you all along. It's just realizing which moments are worth remembering, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that, that's great. I, yeah, so Hugh was also a competitive swimmer. I played water polo competitively, so I nice. will say to let's say like, 10 to 15% aware of the grind involved, but yeah, I just want to say a lot of respect for having the mindset and for just like putting yourself in a place where you were naively confident and just like naively going for it. And
2: yeah, yeah, it's tricky
1: because yeah, there's, there's some degree of like survivorship bias. Cause it's, it's like there, I'm wondering if there are like people who are like also confident who like don't have the outcomes that they're looking for. But at the same time, if you're like someone who's training for something, like you just have to, you just have to have that. You Mm -hmm. just have to like go for it. You just have to fight for it. So I think
2: there's some different uh, concepts behind that too, that are really interesting in sports psychology. There's this sort of inverted parabola of the journey that a lot of athletes will take where, when they finally reach the top of whatever their ultimate goal is, if they have some kind of fall, they fall hard and fast. And some never recover. And so if they can learn to go through that same process again, but almost with a little more trust in themselves, it's really difficult. It's touching a hot stove. And as soon as you touch that stove and you burn yourself, how many of you are willing to touch the stove again? Or how many or how close are you willing to get to the stove and feel the pain? And so a lot of it is, I think, your brain protecting you, either from maybe in the ultimate embarrassing moment maybe you've experienced, or just the physical pain that you've experienced. I think it's really difficult coming back from an injury because your brain is trying to protect you. It's having every fiber in your muscle or every fiber in your body screaming, don't do that. That doesn't feel good. And so it's learning how to override that pain tolerance and whether that pain be mental, emotional, or physical to try and get to that that level again. And it's just not giving yourself the option of not doing it. And so with like the, kind of encompassing that whole idea is just giving yourself permission to be the best. And I think that's a very scary concept because I think we all have a light idea of what it's going to take to be the best and how painful that journey can be. And are you actually willing to do it? My my favorite thing I people have told me, like, wow, I would do anything to do that. I just think to myself, would you do anything? Because if you were willing to do everything, you'd be a lot closer to that actual goal that you want, but it's a very scary and, and most of the time, very lonely road to try and get there. I'm making it sound super huh. doom and gloom. There's a lot of fun times along the way as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I love that a lot. I think something that, you know, I, you're telling me that filming can be fun. I never believed that <laughs> <to> be in, <laughs> all jokes aside. I do, I'm curious with regards to nowadays having, I, I did some competitive swimming in a D three school and then burned out and I was like, okay, I'm good, I've retired from swimming in my own way. And now I work and I'm quite, I'm much happier than I was. <laughs> I sometimes look at people in the startup industry and those who are CEOs or young entrepreneurs, and especially I'm come from the millennial generation as and when I listen to some of the narratives, I do hear certain narratives where there's never take failure as an answer, okay, totally understand that in the right context, don't stop, don't quit, keep going, but I also do wonder, like having all the success stories of say the Amazon or Facebook, Mm -hmm. out of those two to three success stories, there's hundreds, if not thousands of failures along the way. And I do wonder how would, if there's a, a child or a kid or a young adult listening to this podcast and, or even my kid in the future, right? What would be some things we would tell them, right? Do we believe that the night, like only believe one goal and have that goal and then don't take failure as an option is the right path or is there a more balanced way, like, I personally would hope my kid would put on a hand mitt to touch the stove next time versus, right. and I'm just curious of having been through it yourself and gone through it where it's blinders and you just absolutely through the pain and grit and the amount of pain I know swimming can do, especially aerobic capacity exercise <laughs> and the doubles and the probably triples, I don't even know. If you, do you think there's a better way than the true hard grind? Of just getting in the yards or is that the only way to achieve such levels of success
2: i think it's out the
0: drop as you said
2: i think a lot of it is really looking at the mental process too and keeping in mind all the mental chatter that's going on because i your brain truly is the strongest muscle in your body and can be the most beneficial and i think it is a really tough position when you're looking at this ultimate goal per se and i like to look at a framework called the eisenhower idea So people have smart goals, and this one is a little more simple. Where I is for inspiring, you have to be excited about that goal. If you're not excited about it, it's really difficult to have that passion and draw towards getting it done. D is for difficult. You should be extremely uncomfortable. I think the discomfort really pushes you to try and increase your skill level. E is for explicit. If you don't have a direct way to get there, make that your next goal. You really think that makes a very big difference in trying to see and track all of the advanced progress that you're making. And then A is for achievable. Now, that's the really tough part. So when I was little, I wanted to be an Olympic gymnast so bad. I would do cartwheels and dance routines in the front room every day until I was 12 years old and six feet tall. Now, as good as my flip turns are, <laughs> I call myself a water gymnast, but... Some things you have to be realistic with yourself might not be possible. And then you even dig a little deeper and saying like, why is that your goal in the first place? Is that truly your goal or is that someone else's? And what would you gain from that experience. And so I know there's a lot of, a lot of little kids all around the world that want to make it to the Olympic games and want to achieve that next big thing. I just gave a really cool seminar to a symposium in Argentina where a lot of Latin American countries were able to hone in on it. And that was one of the big questions with a lot of those coaches for different countries. It's a bit of a, it's a very simple process, but, it can still be very difficult. So in the first world countries, mainly like China, Japan, most of Europe, US, Canada, there's usually an Olympic trials where they'll take the top two in every country. But if you're from a country where the swim program isn't quite as big and you don't have the same amount of programs, then they'll take one or two swimmers that might hit a certain time standard. And so for any of those kids, just to be able to make those time standards is a very big deal because they don't have as many resources. And so for some of those kids who also might be a little bit small in stature, but still have really big dreams. My favorite quote, I can't remember who told me, but there are giants and there are technicians. And as a giant, I'm a six foot tall, rather muscular woman. The technicians freak me out. They are quick, they are nimble, and I don't understand how when they barely come up to my ridge, my rib cage, they can swim circles around me. And so if there's anyone who doubts their ability to perform well because of their size, there are numerous examples showing them that size doesn't have to matter. Swimming quickly in the water, it's learning how to be more efficient. And so I think that the mental blockage of someone saying, I'll never be able to do that because of X, Y, Z, Now, for me, I actually had a size problem, right? If I'm six feet tall, I probably won't be an Olympic gymnast. No one's made it yet in that category, (laughs) but it's trying to find out the true meaning behind it. So for me, honestly, and it's not a popular goal within that, but I wanted to go to the Olympics because I felt it would give me more opportunities to get out of the financial status I was born into. So born into a very low income family. And I I knew this was my opportunity personally to get out. So that was my driving force. And it wasn't just for me, but it was for my future kids. And so I think you have to find that kind of driving force and realize what it wants out of that goal. And if you're not already getting it. Because after, even if I didn't make the 2012 team, I still would have probably figured out a way to do the World Cups. And that's really what I wanted out of it. I wanted to be able to travel and meet a bunch of people and learn different skill sets along the way. So a lot of the tactics that I use for mental coaching come from a lot of different friends from around the world of just being able to ask them questions and see how they would deal with certain scenarios and be able to use that material and help the next generation. So it's kind amazing. of a roundabout answer. answer. I love
0: that. hope I answered it well.
1: <laughs> amazing. Out of curiosity, were you, were you working with a coach, like since a very young age or was it something that.
2: No, like, I'm actually, like i have just... actually, so I only ever, d- uh, summer recreation programs growing up and maybe some of the programs through school, but I, I loved listening. And I tried to take every nugget of knowledge I could from each coach and I've always Wanted to be athletic. I remember i when I was like six or seven years old, I remember watching a Rocky movie and going out to my dad, and be like, Dad, I want to go to the gym. I want to go to the gym, Dad. And here's a little eight year old girl, like, What am I going to do with you at a gym? I started doing like 10 push ups every night and just tried to listen mm. to every piece of knowledge I could along the way. So when people ask ultimate questions i have always have a really difficult time answering them who is the one inspiration there is no one person i just grabbed from whoever i could a lot of the time i get my inspiration from younger kids just seeing their raw passion for whatever they're doing and trying to emulate that same kind of excitement or that who is the one role model there's no one role model it bounced from person to person and i think my favorite answer is probably matthew mcconaughey's Like who is Who's your role model? You're trying to be the person 10 years from now, like me in 10 years, who do you want that person to look like? And what are you doing to get there? But it is really, it's really interesting to see how people will take on their struggles. And I feel like I get to learn and just semi-experience what they're going through just through their stories and learn how to encapsulate it, package it up and teach the next person how to utilize it.
1: Cool. I, Hugh, did you have any more questions about, about Bria's like competitive swim stuff, because I was curious about her, like mentoring and coaching and like that side of things.
0: Let's do it. Let's focus on it.
1: Cool. You also wrote a little bit about public speaking, being a mentor for many young athletes and mindset coaching. That sounds really interesting. I'm curious, like generally how do you. What kind of clients do you work with like how do they find you and then what does what does the process look like and yeah i'm just curious i'm just curious like what that whole thing is
2: it started out pretty organically so i have this fear of people being uncomfortable around me i hate seeing people uncomfortable so when i was at swim meets if i ever saw a young kid either crying after a race or looking really nervous i always enjoyed kind of the shock value of going up behind them and talking to them at a normal tone discussing similar vulnerabilities and to see like how shocked they were at first just to see one just a huge swimmer talking with them or if they they saw my like olympic tattoo and were just didn't really know how to react And then just expressing that I was terrified of the race coming up as well. Here's usually what I do. And being able to get on their level And afterwards, letting them know, if you have any questions, just find me on Instagram, find me on whatever. Or some of them, I even gave them my phone number if they ever wanted to chat and talk through it, talk through burnout, talk through whatever difficulties they have or they're struggling with. And so I was doing it for free for a very long time just because I enjoyed it. Um, And then I joined a program called Rise that was put together by two other Olympians, Rebecca Sony and Caroline Burkle. And I already had a lot of my own material, but they had a way to monetize it. And I was interested in that. I was still swimming professionally, but wanted a side hustle just to give me something other than just swimming in the water all day. Because once they took, once I was finished with my masters, I didn't really want to go to school anymore and was still swimming. So I literally had nothing to do. I got a a teaching job over at GCU that was online and just started doing little things here and there just to keep me busy. And I started to love the mentoring aspect and I loved creating different Scenarios and frameworks for them to work through, and then when the pandemic happened, I was working with Airbnb at the time because they just signed a partnership with International Olympic Committee, and I was living in California, and they were looking through their algorithm to any Olympians that had used Airbnb in general before. So they reached out to me, and just because their one of the offices was based there, they said, "Hey, would you want to do a commercial for us?" I'm like, "Yes, I would. Yes, that would be very cool. Thank you." And then well, do you do any services? Like I teach swim lessons, but I don't really want to teach random people swim lessons because that's a huge liability. Do you have a swimsuit? Do you have caps? Do you have goggles? And at the point I was like, I'm a struggling swimmer. I don't have the equity to just shell out all of this material for people randomly who want to just fly into LA to have a random swim lesson. But I do a lot of mentoring. And so they asked if I had some kind of speech or seminar that I could offer. And just around that time, the pandemic hit. And they asked if that service could be provided online. And so I was one of the first Olympians in their group to put together a presentation. And they had all of the Airbnb employees from around the world go through and try all of the different seminars. And I got really good at it. So I was telling this one story, probably four or five times, up to eight times a day. So just eight hours, it's just the same story again and again. And I got really great feedback. and was able to fine tune that seminar. So when it went live for the public, I got people from all around the world taking this because they were bored out of their minds, quarantined, wanted to do something cool. So when Airbnb came out with their experiences that were virtual, you could go from making pasta with a granny in Italy to learning about a stretching routine from an Olympic gymnast, like with her on Zoom with you. Like it was the coolest thing so when i put together my create an olympian mindset or goal setting with an gold medalist a lot of people were excited so i just gave them that seminar again probably four to eight times a day for people all over the world because we can only have about 10 people in each group i would always put out there and let them know that i offered mentoring to younger athletes and if they ever wanted to ask questions. They could. So I ended up getting a lot of clients that were not athletes at all, but burnt out CEOs and real estate moguls and individuals who had retired at 35 and didn't know what to do with their life. (laughs) And I'm not equipped to be a life coach, or I didn't think so at that time, but I started to realize that they were going through the same mental struggles that athletes do. And so I, there was just one, a couple of months in particular, where I had a nine-year-old in Switzerland, a 14-year-old in Canada, a 65-year-old in San Francisco, and then a 42-year-old in New York. And everybody, all four of those, both the teenage girl, the younger girl, and the two men, were going through the same issues of just their motivation being tanked through the pandemic, their, their confidence being squandered by an experience. And that's. What that was my bread and butter in college is paying really close attention to what my brain and my thoughts were doing during the downturns and the upturns to understand how I could condition myself to not respond in the same way, basically growing your emotional intelligence. So I just started working with them and I never really scaled it. I just continued to do the Airbnb seminars, which led to a lot of other gigs. So I started giving smaller speeches to different Fortune 500 companies and all just spurred from that. And it was, it's been really fun, but mainly it starts out with me going through a couple of different frameworks of seeing where all of your different mental muscles on a chart, seeing where your emotions are, how it's affecting you. And even every once in a while going into gut health and just physical activity and how that can really help your mental health and fully letting them know that I'm not licensed in any of it, it's just from my own personal experience. And it has been one of the most rewarding side hustles I've ever had. And I'm trying to make it more into a main hustle, but it's difficult because I don't like touting it. <laughs> it's hard to let people know how much I can help them without tuning my own horn, because it's not about me, it's about them. But still sharing my experience and how I can help them with theirs and giving them like direct access to all of the steps that they could take. And being able to just go into a vulnerable space with them and be very honest about what I'm going through my life and how it relates to theirs. And so it's almost like a life coach slash therapy session that helps them get through whatever struggles are going through. And they pay me for it, which is awesome. Hmm. (laughs)
1: Like
2: I probably would do it unpaid (laughs) as well, but still got to buy groceries.
1: (laughs) Huh? That's cool. And uh, here, do you have questions about, did you have a follow
0: up? We can hop in, but you had a follow up.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) no. Okay.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Basically I think the whole transition from your initial career to going into the other real world of non-competitive swimming yeah. becoming oh gosh if this isn't going to be my full-time monetizable gig and how do I become self-sustaining and supportive? It seems mm-hmm. like you're definitely doing an amazing job and working really hard. I'm curious of in that sense like how <laughs> have you seen your skill sets transition and what are some of those major skill sets that you believe are invaluable that you learned that have transitioned over that you are able to teach and instill in others and bring them up with?
2: I think the biggest thing with that is learning different exercises of growing your emotional intelligence. Like I I don't even think the whole concept of emotional intelligence was really a thing until the last maybe 15 years or so, or even mental health in general. And I really like being able to take everything from the physical world in athletics And because that's something everyone can understand, that's really what brings them in is that they have, all the clients have had a very high respect for athletic achievements um, because everyone at some point has exercised in their life and has felt the physical pain and where they initially give up or just move on to the next big thing. And being able to tie those examples that everyone can understand into the mental side has been a really fun challenge. And this is probably one of the most humbling things, but me being able to do the same. So when you first learn a new skill, you might pick it up really quickly within like the physical sports world. And it might take you a while and take you a long time. And then the fact that insecurity pop in the way or past failures can really limit your ability to achieve the next thing can be a really big factor. So one thing that I have always really struggled with on just the on being self-conscious about is because my athletics reached such a high point i was never pushed academically ever and it's really frustrating to me i definitely have a very heavy case of adhd and it's really hard for me to focus especially when i'm tired and with swimming i attribute it to losing a lot of oxygen and just brain cells in general from holding your breath all of the time. Tell me have both of you, if you've ever done a few- success. I'm spacey the whole day. Like even now, if I do masters, if we do a lot of underwaters, I won't do them because I know I won't be able to pay attention all day long. <laughs> but I think knowing that oh about God. yourself and your ability is really important to know. So I know that there's some people who are in medical school that can still go to practice and do underwaters all day long and it doesn't affect them. That's wonderful for them. It definitely affects me. I will be spacey. I won't be able to pay attention in conversations if I've held my breath all morning. But I remember there was one night of my biology lab my freshman year, and I remember I was being I was so frustrated and embarrassed because I couldn't grasp the concept of dependent and in, and independent variables. I I was just a mess, and it was something so simple that the rest of my class had a very good hold on. And so I went to my academic advisor the next day and I, I told him that I was just so stressed out. I couldn't do biology. And instead of trying to calm me down and maybe help it finding me a tutor, he just said, all right, pull y'all into biology. He just took me out of class, just biology 101. It wasn't astrophysics, like it wasn't astrophysics. It wasn't anything super difficult. It was just biology, but because at that moment everything seemed so overwhelming that I was so scared of just going to one night lab, he pulled me out of the class, and that became a very easy crutch. If something was too difficult in the academics, they just pulled me out of it so that my academic or my athletics wouldn't suffer. And I wish they hadn't have done that. I really wish they hadn't have done that. So I'm a huge proponent when it comes to young athletics telling them that academics come first, always. It will do so much more for their lives being academically prone than just focusing strictly on athletics. Even with a lot of the parents, I'll explain to them that if anything, their athletics can help them get into a better school. Especially since most of these families who are in such a rich sport as swimming is a a country club sport, so it's rather expensive. So most families that put their children in swimming are financially well off and scholarship isn't as big of a deal. But the fact that their swimming can get them into a better school is a big deal. And so when they're focused so much on that, I try to let them know that their academics are what's really going to carry them. But if they want to swim in college, that can just give them more opportunities but I was have always been a little self-conscious about that. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get more into the cerebral part of swimming to prove something of myself and get more into the psychology of it and not just seem like a meathead per se. <laughs> and it's still interesting now when I have geared off into saying, what am I going to do for my next career? The amount of people that say the word just why don't you just be a swim coach now being a swim coach is a very honorable position I, I really respect anyone who does that and so any of the occupations i'm about to blurt out no disrespect to them i just hated the word just why don't you just be a swim coach why don't you try just being a firefighter why don't you try just being a pe teacher and i always it was just i really struggled with why would you assume i wanted to do that and every single time it was based upon how strong I was I should be a firefighter because i can lift heavy things i've never mentioned wanting to be a firefighter why would i go that route or i should be a firefighter or i should be a pe teacher because i like working out i think a lot of people enjoy working out but that doesn't necessarily mean their passions drive towards teaching young children different exercises which is again very honorable position but it's been frustrating Trying to continuously be my own advocate in finding a more cerebral pathway rather than just continuing to rely on my physical ability for a paycheck. So, I think that's something that I I hope all athletes start Hmm. to learn is that your identity is not solely tied to one thing. It has to be marked and tied to multiple things because you are made of so many ideas and emotions and dreams and hopes and talents and skills. It's not just tied to one thing. Because if that one thing is taken away from you, the identity crisis is very shocking. Um, I went through it once. I semi-retired in 2015 or 2017, went and did IT recruiting, absolutely hated it, <laughs> it was a terrible experience. So when I came back to swimming, I knew that the next time I retired, I would be more prepared mentally and understand that my value is never tied to how fast I swim. Your value is never tied to one performance that we all tend to think it is
1: yeah that's fair when uh, when people know you for a specific thing then they, they tend to put you in a box and they say oh hey other people who have been in that box have done this other thing so like why don't you try that other thing and it's also hey what if i want to do something else or what if i want to explore a completely different route and mm-hmm. i yeah commend you for standing up for yourself <laughs> yeah so on your Wikipedia page, I saw that you, it says that you graduated from Titans of investing in m class of 2019. I'm curious what that is and why it's on your Wikipedia page and not the fact that you have a master's degree, for example. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, that's really funny. I always wonder who put that on there. So Wikipedia is the world's largest encyclopedia that can be individually put in, right? So someone from Titans must have put that in there, which is really funny. So Brett Harris is a very impressive individual. I believe he was the CEO for Bridgewater or handled one of the largest hedge funds in the world. Now he works with Texas teachers, but he's a very prestigious and very Christian and loving man. He created this class basically to... it's like. His rendition of the Dead Poets Society. It's just full of these very high-thinking and yielding individuals. He has us write a letter of why we want to be there, be recommended by another Titan that's already been in the class, and then go through this huge interview process. And when you first get into the class, I'm so glad of AirPods. <laughs> You're good, John. <laughs> it's like mine would be right after. So right when we get into the class, the first email we get was congratulations on joining Titans. The other 17 members in this class will be your best friends. You will tell each other all of your secrets and you will be best friends for life. It was very intimidating, but he started the whole course through strict vulnerability. And he just had the most amazing people come in every week. We had class once a week, one Thursday we would have it in a classroom with Britt Harris. And the next week we would have what he would call a town. So Benjamin Franklin, would have June towels with his closest friends, and they would just think of big grand ideas of how they could make the world better, what kind of innovations they could create. And he wanted to foster the same environment. So every year he has maybe between 50 to 115 applicants, depending, and he'll pick 15 to 16 students to be in that one class. And it's really interesting. He has each one of them write a brief on one of the world-leading books, mostly on economics, sometimes other areas. So every week or so, I will get a very well-written professional summary of one of the best books. And he has a whole library now where every semester he gets 15 to 18 really well-brought-out briefs of one of the best books. So it's a really phenomenal networking class that he's created. So it's funny that they put it in there. Make sure it's on her Wikipedia page. Thanks, Brett.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you just talked about not not doing cerebral things and then all of a sudden you talk about being a part of this club for
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think that might have been one of the reasons why my application got accepted. I was a psychology major and then sports management for my masters and one of the things in the application said, what is the most influential business book you've ever read? I was not an avid reader in college. I was really embarrassed by the question because I didn't have one. And my answer was the five love languages. And I began to explain how Mm. knowing and understanding all the languages could help me get through mainly any situation and any relationship that I would be in. Whereas other people had much higher academic answers, but I think he found mine interesting and he wanted to create a very eclectic group. And our group was extremely eclectic, very diverse. And so that class alone was probably the biggest push to go do bigger and greater things. And actually on a personal note too, I think it was definitely one of the main reasons and I'm grateful for, and I hope we both are. I'm not sure if he'll ever listen to this, but my high school sweetheart, I dated him for about seven years and I was engaged for two and I went into Titans and the professor, Britt Harris said, why are you getting married? And my answer was well, we've been dating for five or six years, but why are you getting married? And I couldn't quite answer him. I I couldn't have the whole, because I love him because of this, because of that. And he just started asking what my standards and values were and if they were matched. Now I still think that my ex fiance is a wonderful person, but at the time where my standards and energies were going his were not and it was a very kind of shocking realization of having basically a stranger ask you like why would you take this route if it's not in line with what you want in life and it was probably the best decision up to that point i've made i think for both of us that we would cut off the wedding and go separate ways and so i owe that man a lot and i think he also really inspired a lot of us to continue realizing that with a lot of hard work and very close attention to detail, we could achieve just about anything. But again, it's giving yourself permission to be the best. And if the best means that you need to read every single Wall Street journal to know what's going on or paying the closest attention to everyone's interactions to climb whatever corporate social ladder, that's what you have to do. This time goes by really fast. I just looked down, it's been like 45 minutes. Holy moly.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. That's a big shout out, oh. shout out to Titans and Investing at Texas AM. Thanks, John. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I think it's it's awesome to hear about those people. You said earlier, right? You don't have people who are you have a list of people who are very influential. And sounds like that was mm-hmm. one of them. And uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm, i still think about yeah the growth experience of all of us throughout the journey of life, and we all have such different routes and things that we learn, pick up along the way, and our experiences of it. And then, yeah, like values, principles, how do we align? What are the things? What are what is a quality friend or quality partner or quality love? Like what is marriage? Right? Like these are extremely you know like on a spiritual dimension of like your inward self like your mind body and soul what does that fully mean i think it's we learn it in different aspects right and something that like from slightly tangential is just thinking out loud of swimming to me was such an healthy relationship <laughs> like it was
2: it is for a lot of athletes it in general. was yeah
0: Yeah. And it's just, I, sometimes I truly wish and like, I sometimes make the joke. If I ever do have kids, I'm not going to have them swim, but it's like, why do I say that too? And yeah, it just, sometimes it teaches, it taught me a lot though. And I feel if I I really, it's the first time I've heard of the framework. What was it? I C E. idea 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 of course yeah the eisenhower idea right i always know of the eisenhower matrix i don't know if they're Mm -hmm. in the same one when do you delegate when do you just not do it when do you do it yourself and when do you try to so it's like i i think i know for a fact that i really am disappointed in the in a number of mentors that i had where i feel like And I feel like my career in sports, especially, and sometimes even academics was the college advisor you had that said, you could just not do it or not quit. And it's not Mm -hmm. that I quit swimming. I kept doing it, but it's, I wish I had the advisor the mentors kind of be, okay, so what is it you're struggling with? And how do I get to you to see the executable and, or the roadmap or journey for what you can progress on next? Yeah, I just... When I hear you speak about it, so you're like, dang, it, it's so tough to scale, qualitative, educational, healthy, mental health thought patterns that translate accordingly into qualitative output of physical or mental feats. And, and what's the why behind it? Simon Sinek says, how do we, and what is the why? Is it just for fame, glory, or money and riches? Or is it like, because expectations. we enjoy it and we want to. Yeah. And like, what are our expectations of, is it just for ourselves, Or is it to give back to others and help others? And very honestly, like, this is a question that I was talking with with my now wife, I guess this is crazy, but- Congratulations.
2: Um... <laughs> oh my gosh. I did hear about that. I was like, she well, was married. I was like,
0: what? <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. Did you see his <laughs> ring? <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a it's a a interesting time. Yeah, no, I just have the anywho. I wasn't on purpose. I swear. I'm like really happy. I'm like so. Do you not know? Anywho, there's gonna be arrows on the video. What do you think about competition? Like actually, for like I've been thinking about it more. What's the point of people competing? to have the best time and, or what's the point of these people from different countries with different resources that mm-hmm. don't have an equal distribution of resources to really even compete? I'm just like curious of, because there's so much other stuff we could be focusing on. Just curious what you yeah. thoughts to be.
2: A lot of, there are a lot of different segments on that. So one, I'll look at it from the financial point of view. The Olympics itself is the most, Commercialized competition, right? Like just after the soccer World Cup or the Super Bowl, the Olympics is right up there. So you have that one opportunity to make a scene, and it's really interesting. That's why a lot of athletes will make a big scene after finishing a race, make sure all the cameras are on there, because those splashing like photos are is what you put on the Wheaties box. So. It could mean a lot of different things it could mean that they maintain a specific stipend from a sponsor it could be just them truly wanting to see how far they could push their own body like you see swimmers that have multiple world records because they keep breaking their own best time that's another thing i always think is really interesting the way i speak probably talks down to the elite but so when I put down that I've broken nine American records, really I just went a best time eight times. A lot of my friends have. So why does mine why is mine deemed more special? So when I look out look at a record, world record, school record, state record, country record, whatever it is, it's one performance done one time by one person. So why is that deemed more important? than the next. And I think it's because as a society, we always look at what is the actual best and how far can we push the human body. But I've had so many friends in college that would have bigger time drops than me. So maybe I would drop a hundredth of a second and I would get an American record. And the person in the lane next to me just dropped four seconds. What an athletic achievement to drop four seconds from your race. That's amazing but maybe they got fifth place and no one cares. I'm Like, do you understand the actual physical feat that it takes to break your own time by four seconds? It's just, it's groundbreaking to me. But yeah, the person over here who just shaved off a hundredth of a second got an American record. And I know it's more exciting, but I think it's just more exciting because it's commercialized. So competition and what I think of it, especially in, And those are, there are the true competitors that want to prove to themselves and to the world that they are the best. And then the others that are doing it for the commercial fame. And because they like the attention, I think is a big driving force for some athletes, whereas other athletes just are very humble and quiet on their own, who just like to see how far they can push their bodies. And so it depends on the motivation behind each competitor, what the competition means.
1: I, I heard that Michael Phelps. Showed up to a party with all eight of his gold medals. I think it was an ASU party too. (laughs) I'll also add a little bit, which is, I think it's really beautiful when you have people from people from around the world coming together and like doing competitive sports together, because it's the only context where people are on the same page and we're not like, we're not like. Preventing war, like trying to prevent wars, or like doing things with—it's just like a very—it's just like a very simple. Let's play basketball together, and it's like a really big. Everyone is better, yeah.
2: Yeah, what I kind of like telling people is. Oh, by the way, I think Michael Phelps is really awesome. He's a really cool person. Just teasing him. (laughs) He's going to (laughs) become the the next listener of this podcast. So let me just make that disclaimer. (laughs) But what I tell people, like what it's like. Um, when you are the fastest kid on the playground, when you go to junior high, you're now against six or seven of the other fastest kids from their playground. So then you just learn to be the fastest kid in junior high. And then you go into high school and you have five or six junior highs in one high school. And you learn to be the fastest kid in high school. And then the high schools go to colleges. And then that's just the next step. So when you're in the competition with people from around the world, when you see them in the cafeteria. Eating food, one of the most human things you could do, and them being picky about picking out certain vegetables or them being too tired to eat their oatmeal, you realize how human everyone really is. And it's just a big playground. And the world record is just like a school record. It's just the people who were crazy enough and had just enough genetic gifts to make it to the next step. But it's just a playground of the next group of kids getting together to try and see who can be the best one, who can swim the fastest, who can hit the ball the hardest. And it it can be a little juvenile because the egos is what changes. And it's really fun to witness all the different egos happen. There There was a specific Chinese swimmer And like the US team has a lot of of fun gossip and rumors and every team does. But there was, I don't know if it was true or not because I was never in the male locker room, but apparently the swimmer had very long nails to help him touch the wall faster so he couldn't put on his suit. So he had like minions that would all help him pull up his suit because he couldn't be bothered with putting on his competition suit by himself. And I just thought that was so funny. And so it's the egos just get a little bit bigger the higher up the ladder of competition that you go, but it's just a bunch of kids on a (laughs) playground.
0: That's so bad. Like a basket. Wow. Oh my like a
2: basket. God. Yeah, yeah. he had three or four like sweating workers trying to pull up his suit.
0: Uh, you should be grateful for putting my suit on, not much. me for you.
1: <laughs> what, a uh, what a privilege. What a privilege.
0: One day you'll tell your children.
2: And the sad thing is they probably will. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But I think you, everyone should remember that with no matter who they're meeting, right? It was, it's always been the coolest thing. So every four years after the Olympics, the Olympic team gets invited to go meet the president. And every single time I've been fortunate enough to meet someone, I was very, very shell-shot or just fangirled very hard with Venus Williams. I, I love her. <laughs> and Serena. I was pretty it's shocked amazing. with that. fangirl pretty hard. But even after shaking their hand and realizing that they're made of flesh and bone just like you and me i realize that they're just another set of kids on the playground Um, and you just see all these incredible people that accomplish these phenomenal things and you just think that they're higher beings almost but no they probably still pick some vegetables out of their meals they probably are too tired to eat their oatmeal they have their own dramas in their family they just had the right combination of psychological help, genetical gifts, and just working to no end to try and achieve the school record per se.
0: I love that a lot. That's a really nice analogy. I like this playground analogy. And so I, I don't know how long we probably come into that and sadly, probably pretty soon, but I just want to ask one final question on that and then take it away. John is, With regards to the playground, and it sounds so fun. I want to play on a playground if it sounds like that. Focusing on mental health and focusing on competitive Mm -hmm. mental health, especially as people not scale up, but level up or progress up or aspire upwards. Do you have any thoughts or feedback or words of wisdom in that sense for quality mental health, keeping that and cultivating that? boundaries i don't know how to ask that yeah. question but
2: i think it's being honest with yourself and understanding what kind of thoughts are going through your head so i have a lot of different ways i like to journal but i think one of the most important ones is when you are in a dark moment and you have the worst thoughts write them down be brave enough to write them down i don't mm-hmm. care if they don't make sense write them down so i, I have a pattern every day at 10:30 at night if i'm by myself i get super sad but i know that about myself because i realize the pattern but write down those terrible, awful, mean thoughts, put it away for a bit and come back to it when you're at a level field and read it as if your best friend wrote that about themselves. And how would you help them? And then be brave enough to take that advice. Because when you get up there to that major competition, you will have the most mind-bending thoughts of that may not even be rational. I had a little blurb in my one of my Olympic races. The buzzer went off early. I jumped in early my adrenaline was all over the place I was cold and then when I jumped in the second time during the race I chased the camera and I abandoned my race strategy I got sixth place it was one of the most for about 10 seconds the most terrible thing that could have ever happened to me until I took a deep breath and I was like I'm in an Olympic pool racing the fastest woman in the world this is not a terrible thing this is really actually pretty awesome and I have the privilege to be here but understanding what those fears are and why you're anxious is a big thing, especially when it gets in the higher competition, try and figure out why is it there? Why are you thinking that who maybe planted that there? And what kind of of therapeutic motions can you do to get out of it and get in a healthier mindset? Because if you're struggling upstairs, it's all over. I think being very methodical and just having that like intrinsic process of figuring out how you can maintain that healthy headspace is the golden ticket to get to where you want to go but that's the main thing a lot of people are doing better now but haven't done in the past you look at the past olympic games where gymnasts will compete on broken ankles and i think that's abusive i think that's awful and it's all for what the commercial glory of visa the commercial glory of oh a sponsor it, it can be really big yeah. so you have to realize like whose dream is this whose dream is it? Is it your dream to compete on the stage? If it is your dream, go for it. But it's really trying to find out what you truly want and not what your parents want, not what your coach wants, but figuring out for yourself, because that's the only way in my head of how to be successful.
0: Add heart emoji here, or a clap emoji <laughs> here. Peach.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Preach>. <laughs> yeah I, that's something I reflect on as well. Like, trying to find out what you want independent of what people expect from you, like your parents, your friends and your community. And it's when you strip that all away, it's actually really hard. And yeah, it looks like we're right about at time. And I had a selfish, I had a selfish quick question that I wanted to ask, which is as someone who is like a world-class competitive athlete, do you still find yourself like doing crazy workouts or, I don't know, getting it to triathlons or?
2: A little bit. Part of me is still scared of the pain. I've already done it and I'm like, I don't want to do it again. But I do find myself every once in a while in ridiculous situations. Just a couple Sundays ago, I was taking my dog for a run and we were close to home, but it was five and a half miles. So I'm like, let me just do half a mile more so it's an even six. I accidentally did another mile so we were a six and a half. And I swear we would have kept going until I had the perfect number to stop. Or I'll be on the Peloton, and I see that the person that's really close to me is like a 45-year-old man. I'm like, oh, bring it on. And we'll just be gut-wrenching, <laughs> ready to grow up to that be someone it. I don't know. I don't know him. Or this is Take really funny. Take
0: out that Uh shit.
2: Uh-huh. Or just really, really stupid little competitive things. So if I make cookies, can I make the batter and have it all ready before the oven heats up? How fast can I do this? <laughs> How many more? Like, <laughs> if you run into the house how can you bring in all the groceries at once now my my car is literally 10 steps from my door I could take multiple trips and it would be the same amount of time as it would take for me to lug all 75 (laughs) bags of groceries but I will do ridiculous things when it comes to the inner competitive spirit but when it comes to actual competing in a sport right now I still think I'm in that healing stage where I'm like they can have it it's okay because I know how long it takes to get back into shape and I know how much work it's going to take and Right now, it's just not worth it. (laughs) I'll give that a little bit more
1: time. I just imagine you like on the Peloton next to some like guy in the gym being like, do you know who I am?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You will not defeat me. You don't even know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Bria, we also wanted to give you some space to... Just talk about anything that you're working on, anything that you want are, I guess now, what is it, Hugh, 14 and 15 listeners?
0: 14, let's go.
2: <laughs> I think just learning how to be your own best friend is the biggest takeaway. And I think this is the first time I actually said it out loud, but learn how to be your own best friend. Plan out your day as you would plan out your best friend's day or your best friend would plan out your day. Learning how to be your own best friend on a consistent basis. Commercial-wise, if you ever have a function, that you need a keynote speaker for and you want a specific title, let me know. I will do the research and be able to throw it together to make sure I get the entire crowd going. I love being the personality that gets to be up there and get everyone going, but I also, when I'm not asked to be, I will be the quiet person in the corner just observing. (laughs) If anyone needs a speaker or uh, a pick-me-up for one of their younger athletes or anyone who's struggling through burnout, I'm really easy to find. My name is spelled differently, so I get to put it on everything and there's not another name like it, so. If you just look for Bria, but with the silent J, you'll be able to find me and ask any questions.
1: And we'll put it in the links below. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks again for coming on the Moon Tea Podcast. This is where we interview really awesome people, just like Bria, uh, just like the other, I don't know, fifty something, sixty something people who we've had on the show, and. Yeah, if you're listening and if you want to reach out to us for any reason, like if you want to be a guest on our podcast, if you want to suggest a guest, if you want to mm-hmm. sponsor our next international trip, um, you can reach out to us at podcast at gmail.com. Hey, you never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> With that, have a wonderful rest of your day. And yeah, thanks, everyone. Peace.
2: Awesome. Peace. Thanks, guys.